Oh. So then you can okay. add that to the Please, okay. Good evening. Thank you for braving uh, the, the torrential rains we've been having. I'm glad for some rain. Well, tonight, as we continue our study in the attributes of God, we're going to focus on his mercy. And let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, we thank you tonight for your mercy. Even in, uh, we, we know something of that, but we're delighted to be able to think together tonight about about your mercy and, and about uh, your grace. And we pray that you will uh, increase our understanding, increase our humility, and draw us near to you, that you, uh, as you desire to show us your mercy, for us to experience it and uh, to be filled richly with it and give you praise and honor for, for it. So guide us and help us as we open your word and uh, help us to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I want to start off tonight with a look at God's self-revelation and proclamation of his own glory to Moses. And I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 33 uh, and into chapter 34. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you may. Um, so we're starting off in Exodus 33 and verse 18. And I will need my glasses. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. That word is also merciful. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets uh, the words that were on the first tablets while you, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took his hand, took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Well, here we have this dynamic and moving 
scene of relationship between Moses and God. And we see, too, that at the heart of this uh, account of what took place, we could say that if we were going to study the attributes of God and leave out the mercy of God, it would be a great mistake. Before us here is this one of this quintessential texts of who God is. So Moses has exhibited a great and deep desire to know God deeply. Show me your glory. He was in this midst of a conversation about whether the Lord would continue with the people into the land of promise. And then Moses says to the Lord, you have told me that you know me by name, that I have found favor in your sight. And so then Moses says to the Lord, if I found favor in your sight, then show me your ways that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight. And then he said, and if you are not going up with us, then don't take us up from here. And that's when the Lord said, the very thing that you have asked, I will do. Then, the Lord, then Moses said to the Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord agreed to do this as well. He would place Moses in the cleft of the rock. He would pass by and let him see his back. So the Lord descended and he was there with Moses. He then passed before him and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Mark that word as well. And faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, and so on. So then what, what did Moses do quickly? He bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Now, the translations of the English translations differ from translation to translation in terms of the words they use here, but um, together they, they point to the concept of mercy with a couple of words in this text. One is the Hebrew word chesed, and the other is the Hebrew word racham. And now I want to show you where those appear in, the, in these important verses. In chapter 33, 19 of Exodus, the Lord says he will have racham on whom he will have racham. That's mercy upon whom he will have mercy. And then in chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord says he is Yahweh, a God, racham, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, and faithfulness, keeping hezed for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So you've got these, you, these words, both of which communicate the fundamental idea of mercy, but two different words, and they're used in repeated fashion here. And so they express very importantly and very strongly, poignantly, that when you talk about who is God, the very first word of his description, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, a God of mercy. Um, some of the other English words that we could use there for mercy are compassion. A lot of times it's translated as steadfast love, mercy, and kindness. Here is an attribute of God which is at the core of who he is and of how he wants to be known by the people who have found his favor. So Moses longs to know the Lord like God knows Moses. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you this mercy I'm going to have mercy upon whom I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to have mercy on you. And here's what you need to know about me. Among all these things, I'm merciful. He's, he's more than that, but he certainly wants Moses to know that. Here is my glory. My name is the Lord. I am merciful and gracious. Now, that is a, kind of just a, some commentary then on those verses from Exodus 33 and 34. And to point out to you also Deuteronomy 6.31 that says, For the Lord your God is a merciful 
God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And then just uh, so we'll also jump to the New Testament, we could uh, quote uh, 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So here's three different passages all of which emphasize the mercy of God. But the fact is, the scripture is filled with reference to the mercy of God. In fact, if we wanted to see it repeated over and over and over and over and over again, we would turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is that psalm where every time there's a line, there's a corresponding line that says that the steadfast love or the mercies of the Lord endure forever. 26 times. In every, ver- every one of the 26 verses in Psalm 136, there is this repetition of the steadfast love or the mercy of the Lord that it endures forever. So we, we must be determined to understand this wonderful attribute of God. And that's what I hope to do tonight. Uh, first of all, let's start off with a definition. Just some of the words we've already thrown out. These are just going to be some expanding on that. According to A.W. Tozer, God's mercy is an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature which disposes God to be actively compassionate. It is a boundless, overwhelming immensity of divine pity and compassion. Mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. So the word clusters that communicate the mercy of God that we've seen indicate that there is this seemingly emotional component to mercy. Uh, It's the kind of emotional component which prompts acts of kindness to another. Um, And one of these emotional components is the emotional component of relationship. We are related to God by being his creatures. Um, Psalm 103 verse uh, is, is rich with statements about God's mercy. And it draws our attention to the fact of, of how a father has an emotional component in his determination to do good to his children. Out of the relationship, a father desires to be compassionate to his children out of that relationship that the children don't do anything. They don't earn this from the father, their father, but the relationship of their father-son or father-daughter relationship is inseparable from that emotional component to do good. So the Lord's mercy involves this component as well because Psalm 103.13 says this, As a father shows compassion or has mercy to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There is this sense of a relational component. And then there's another relational component, and that, or another emotional component and that of mercy, and that is the uh, component of pity, of observing one in a difficult spot or a miserable situation and pitying that person in light of their situation. As one beholds another in a miserable situation, we could empathize with their struggle, pain, or affliction. And when, when you, you know someone that's having a, well, they're in the hospital, or they have a relative dying, or there have been 
uh, a problem in their home or, you know, their car, <laughs> they got car trouble. You name the trouble. And most of us who've been through something like it, immediately we don't, we can do more than just say, oh, yeah. We kind of feel uh, the, the sense of, uh, of struggle that they're in. There is a, is a, there's a connection, an emotional component with it. That is mercy. Um, God himself is merciful in this way. He beholds the misery in which we find ourselves, and he has compassion upon our miserable estate and works to alleviate our suffering. So there's this emotional component of relationship and also this emotional component of pity. And we see it in the kindness of Jesus, like in, the, in all the, the healing that he did and the feeding that he did and the thinking that he expressed about people's condition. I mean, he healed the blind and the lame and the deaf and the sick. And I can think of numerous times when it says something like, and Jesus had compassion. And uh, like the, the people were like sheep without a shepherd in one case. Well, think about, too, the people that were hungry because they've been following, all, following him all this time. And so he says, we need to provide something for them to eat. It's, it's mercy that in Christ that even moves him to care for the people. The two blind men who were uh, sitting outside Jericho calling out after Jesus, what were they saying? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. But, but the mercy of God upon humans is not just for their physical miseries, but also for our sinful miseries. I mean, we saw it in Exodus 34, 7. The highlighted manifestation of the mercy of God is that, that here's the mercy of God. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. When David wrote Psalm 51 after his uh, sin with Bathsheba, how does that psalm begin? It's a psalm of confession and pouring out his heart for the evil and the wickedness that he has committed before God. And it all starts out this way. Have mercy on me, O God. In the New Testament, what is the cry of the tax collector? You know, the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus presents, they go up and uh, the Pharisee is standing on one corner and he's thanking God that he's not like that old tax collector over there. And what's the tax collector doing? He's beating his chest and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So our salvation is based on the mercy of God. Ephesians 2 describes our broken and hopeless condition. You're familiar with that chapter, how we... We were dead in trespasses and sins, and once we once walked, we lived in the passions of the flesh and carried out the desires of the body and were by nature children of wrath like the rest. Yet verse 4 tells us this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. Let's consider one more example of the mercy of God. His mercy is expressed preeminently in Christ himself. Think about these verses from Hebrews that describe Jesus and why he did what he did. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
there's that pointing to his experience of life in the body like us so that his identity with us his mercy toward us because he has suffered he is able to help us he has knowledge of what it's like and how about of course Hebrews 4 15 and 16 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. But what's our response? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so there just you see... The, the kindness, compassion, sensitivity, the pity upon misery, which is a part of who God, sensing that, and his mercy is sensing that, moves him to alleviate pain, suffering, anguish. God is merciful. Now, let's think about the scope of God's mercy. There's really three, ele- uh, three aspects of the scope of God's mercy. In other words, where is it that God shows mercy? First of all, God's mercy is universal. Everywhere. In the sense that his mercy extends in some form or another to all his creation. All his creation. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, God is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Then also we could say that God's mercy is particular to those who he made in his image, that is, to human beings. So there is a mercy of God that extends to every part of his creation. There's also, I'd say, more of a special mercy that extends to human beings in general, sinners or not. Well, all of whom are sinners, not based on uh, whether they're his people or not his people. Um, Acts 17, verse 25 says, God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If anybody has one, and and everybody has multiple, but to the extent that any person, any human being, has an experience of good, comfort, relief, protection, it doesn't matter whether they belong to his people or not. It's God's mercy that moves God to act toward them in that way. Uh, Matthew 5.45 says, The Father in heaven makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He is merciful. This rain that's falling today, we all need it. And it's not just falling on the yards of the people who are saved, but on every yard out there. God's mercy is is pouring out like that on everyone. Without reference to sin, God supplies the necessities of life. His mercy upon all humanity is a model then for our mercy towards one another, saved or unsaved. But then, thirdly, we could say God's mercy is sovereign to special objects of his saving purpose. This is a special mercy to particular sinners toward whom God himself has determined to bestow saving mercy. Romans 9, well, we read it too in Exodus Back in Exodus 33, 34, but here in Romans 9, 15 to 16, the quote from there, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So at least these, the scope of God's mercy is, in a sense, God's mercy, mercy is universal overall. There then is a particular sense in which he is uh, merciful towards all humanity. And then there is a very specific sense in which he is merciful in a peculiar way to his vessels of mercy um, that are those who belong to him by his eternal choice. Now, I want you to think with me about some properties of God's mercy. And this may be one of the smallest parts in your outline, but it's probably one of the largest I'm going to talk about. because I've got lots of quotes and thoughts. I want these things when we talk about the properties of God's mercy to just explode your heart tonight or maybe you know, bring you to explode your heart in praise, bring you to a sense of the awesomeness of the mercy of God in your life and mine. As we think about these properties of God's mercy, which um, I'm taking largely from some comments um, from Thomas Watson and his work on the Ten Commandments, but also from Charles Spurgeon. So properties of God's mercy include these. One, it is free and spontaneous. It is free and spontaneous, free as opposed to being compelled or coerced. Spontaneous. It's not brought about by something in the creature. That is, God is not compelled to be merciful. He dispenses his mercy freely without compulsion and with its being, without its being merited. It can't be merited. Just like grace. Watson, right, Thomas Watson rightly makes these two statements about the spontaneous and free um, mercy of God. One, we may force God to punish us but not to love us. And next, if God should show mercy only to such as deserve it, he must show mercy to none. It's free and spontaneous. Secondly, the mercy which God shows is powerful. His mercy is powerful. Of what sovereign power and efficacy is that mercy which subdues the pride, and this is a quote from Thomas Watson, is the mercy which subdues the pride and enmity of the heart and beats off those chains of sin in which the soul is held. God's mercy is powerful. We get release from sin through his mercy. Charles Spurgeon writes of the power of God's mercy that is effectual. He says, it is this. It is a cordial to your drooping spirits. It is a golden ointment to your bleeding wounds. It is a heavenly bandage to your broken bones. It is a royal chariot for your weary feet. It is a bosom of love for your trembling heart. It is powerful because it, God's, God's mercy meets us at our point of need. Thirdly, God's mercy is tender. God's mercy is tender. With gentle, loving touch, what is Psalm 147.3? He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is tender mercy in action demonstrated by God. With gentle loving touch, he heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. He is as gracious in the manner of his mercy as in the, mat the matter of his mercy. He is merciful in giving and he is merciful in the manner in which he gives his mercy. It is tender. 
Just think about for human beings, tenderness and merciful uh, mercy and tenderness comes across in being gentle with one another, gentle and genuinely caring. Okay, fourthly, the mercy which God shows is superabundant. Think about some scriptural uh, descriptions of God's mercy that demonstrate its superabundance. He keeps mercy for thousands, Exodus 34, 6. God visits iniquity to the third and fourth generation only, but he shows mercy to a thousand generations, Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is abounding in steadfast love and mercy to all who call. That's Psalm 86, 5. He is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4. Thomas Watson says, The vial of God's wrath drops only. I mean, picture uh, an eyedropper with a little rubber uh, balloon on the top that you're squeezing, like eye drops. He's, I think that's kind of the idea he's picturing. The vial of God's wrath is like a dropper, but the fountain of his mercy runs. The sun is not so full of light as God is of love. It, it, do you see these descriptional, the, these contrasts here? The, the wrath of God, he's slow to anger, but he's abounding in steadfast love. God is more ready to be merciful than to demonstrate his wrath. Charles Spurgeon comments, Millions have received it, yet far from its being exhausted, it is as fresh, as full, and free as ever. That is the mercy of God. And fifthly, the mercy of God is constant. God has mercies for every day. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, Lamentations 3.22. Again, Thomas Watson says, Every time we draw our breath, we suck in mercy. How many times have you sucked in mercy since we've been in this room? God has mercies under heaven. And those we taste, and mercies in heaven, and those we hope for. I'll say that again. So, God has mercies under heaven, that's here now, and those we taste, and mercies in heaven, and those we hope for. God's mercy is constant, forever now, forever then. If not for his mercy, we would be in trouble. Now, number six. God has mercies for all sorts of circumstances. No matter what circumstance you're in, God has the mercy you need for that circumstance, that situation. Are you poor? 1 Samuel 2.8, he lifts up the needy from the ash heap. Are you in prison? The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Psalm 69.33, are you dejected or are you being disciplined by the Lord? Isaiah 54, 8 says, For in overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. Spurgeon declares of God's mercy, it will never leave you. If you are saved by sovereign mercy, mercy will be with you in temptation to keep you from yielding. 
He will be with you in trouble to prevent you from sinking. It will be with you in living to be the light and life of your countenance. And it will be with you in dying to be the joy of your soul when earthly comfort is ebbing fast. Number seven, the mercy of God is abiding and never failing. God will never stop extending mercy. The mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 103, 17. The mercy of God is not like the widow's oil, which ran out after a while. 2 Kings 4, 6. But God's mercy is overflowing and ever flowing and just to stress it again 26 times psalm 136 states his steadfast love endures forever number eight in terms of these aspects of god's mercy number eight the mercy of god is the root of all other mercies in creation all the mercies that god shows plural are because of his Mercy. Paul says that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the Father of mercies. Thomas Watson notes that all the mercy in the creature is derived from God and is but a drop from his ocean. The mercy and pity a mother has to her child is from God, who puts the milk in her breast, puts the compassion in her heart. God is called the Father of mercies because he begets all the mercies in the world. If you see mercy, it is because God is merciful. How much kindness is in him who is the father of mercy? Now, how do we respond to God's mercy? Well, we've got about four things here. One, we should worship joyfully. Worship joyfully. We should sing of God's mercy. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. We should sing of it. We should speak of it. If his mercies are new every morning, then you have experienced his new mercies today in this world and in this day in which we've lived. If you just stop to say, Can I, let, me, let me just think of five or ten mercies that God has put upon me today and be blown away that there's probably 10,000 times that many that you have experienced. And so... Your heart should overflow with gratitude and amazement and thanks. Instead of mourning the circumstances of your life that aren't like what you'd want or this day wasn't quite what you'd hoped for or it just seems kind of common or whatever negative the flesh may be feeding into your mind, those, those thoughts need to be resoundingly rejected by the affirmation that you have been one who has experienced God's mercy today in ways that are so great you cannot fathom and in ways so great that you cannot adequately praise him for them. So worship joyfully. Secondly, pray boldly. And how appropriate this is for the prayer meeting we're about to have. Pray boldly, and I would add, and fervently, and hopefully, but pray boldly, have mercy on me, O God. That's a good way to begin any and all prayers. We receive the good that the Lord bestows through prayer by his mercy. And it's clear that the Lord pleases to dispense mercy to those who ask. 
Here's a powerful quote again from Thomas Watson. He says, We are to look upon God in prayer, not in his judgment robes, but clothed with a rainbow full of mercy and clemency. Add wings to prayer. When Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven, that which made him go up there with joy was this, I go to my Father. Just so, that which should make our hearts ascend with joy in prayer is this, we are going to the Father of mercy who sits upon the throne of grace. Go to prayer with confidence in God's mercy as a cold person draws near to a fire saying, it will warm me, not burn me. So pray boldly. Worship joyfully, pray boldly. Three, live confidently. Live confidently. I'm going to say optimistically. That is by faith in the assurance that just as surely as you open your eyes up in the morning, the mercies that are new that you need for the day. The hope you can have no matter what's coming your way. Psalm 52, 8 says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. What makes you green? Green is not what you want when you burn wood on the fire, but green is when you're, a tree is, is healthy and alive. And what is it that makes you green? Trusting in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. God calls sinners to come, and when they come, he will certainly not cast them off. Live confidently. Psalm 27, 13 to 14, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It is his mercy that can give you that confidence day by day. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Okay, and number four, the responding to the mercy of God is that we should not just worship joyfully, pray boldly, live confidently, but number four is act mercifully. That is live in this world in the same way towards this world in the same way that God has been toward us Matthew 5 7 blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy it's not something you earn but those who are merciful are the ones who've been received recognized they've received mercy and yes indeed they shall receive mercy because they are impacted by the mercy that they have received. Like you could even talk about here the parable of the, the unforgiving servant who did not display mercy, even though he had experienced it. And so what he had was then taken away. So be tender to the poor and needy. Care for the orphan and the widow. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Discipline yourself to empathize and sympathize. Think through what others are going through and try sometimes to feel it in order to pity their misery and in order to behave towards them in a way that truly exhibits mercy, that you could be said to be healing the brokenhearted as much as in you and binding up their wounds. Be sensitive. Do what is good for another, even when it means being tough. Now, being merciful doesn't mean enabling people who are sinning. And sometimes there's nothing much you can do. But when, in whatever that you do, even if you must be tough, let it be driven and couched in a, from a heart of mercy that longs for their good and for their flourishing. 
So even when love must be tough, let it be rooted in mercy. And I'll close with this. One more quote from Thomas Watson. God's mercy is an open fountain. Let down the bucket of faith and you may drink of this fountain of salvation. What greater encouragement to believe than God's mercy. God counts it his glory to be scattering pardons. He is desirous that sinners should touch the golden scepter of his mercy and live. Let's pray. Father, we just absolutely praise you for the length and breadth and depth and height. Though it is truly unfathomable, just as unfathomable as is the ocean to us, the true depths and height and width of your mercy, we know it's expressed in Christ, and we know it's expressed through Christ's willingness to sacrifice himself for us. But to truly know the fullness of that is beyond our ability or to truly even to begin to say that we praise you sufficiently as to express the gratitude and amazement and astonishment and joy that we have at your goodness and compassion and pity. It's, it's simply impossible. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It's just our acknowledgement as we come to you that we, are, we, we want to do something we can't. So would you please accept our thanks? Please accept our humble offerings of praise. Please let them this be a pleasing aroma to you that we extol you for the mercy that you show to the universe as a whole, to humankind as a whole, and to those who are your children, particularly in utterly amazing, amazing ways that you bring enemies into your house and declare them your children by the sacrifice that you yourself had to make through your son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come. We thank you that you became like us in every way so that you might be a merciful and high priest. And we thank you that when we cry out to you, when we are in the throes of hunger or in the throes of difficulty, when we're in the throes of temptation and struggle, that though you are supreme in your power and in your glory, these are not things with which you cannot identify and sympathize with because you've been here and you've walked and you've hungered and you've thirsted and you've grown weary. And you faced enemies all triumphantly. Thank you that we can come to you, the one who is the victor over all these things. Fill us with hope and joy and confidence and assurance that we could live with that spirit of joyful confidence, knowing you've won it all and your mercies abound. And they abound to us. Praise be to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.